This morning I invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel, to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, we'll be taking a look at this morning. The story that we're, we'll be looking at this morning takes, part, takes place in the early days of Jesus' ministry. Uh, in chapter 1 of Mark, just to give us, kind of situate us in the story, uh, Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's called uh, many disciples to himself. In chapter 1, we see him call a group of fishermen to himself to follow him. Uh, Jesus goes on and he heals many people in the, the area around the Sea of Galilee, in Capernaum, in that area. Uh, he heals many. He heals a man of a, a demon, an unclean spirit. He cleanses a leper. And then, most recently, in the first part of chapter 2, we see Jesus healing a paralytic, a man unable to walk. Not only did, though, did Jesus heal this man, but he forgave his sins. In fact, he said he had the authority to forgive this man's sins. And so it brings Jesus into conflict for the first time with the Pharisees, which we'll see that conflict spill over into uh, our, our text this morning that we'll be looking at. And so the Pharisees and others are trying to figure out who Jesus is. What is this guy doing? What does he think, who does he think he is claiming equality with God that he can forgive sins? And so maybe you're even here this morning wondering, who is Jesus? What does he have to do with me? Maybe you're skeptical and, and, and are thinking that Jesus' call has nothing to do with you. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a number of years and we get caught up in the busyness of life and church and we've forgotten who it truly is, who it really is that Jesus has come to call. And so no matter where you're at this morning, this text this morning has everything to do with us. Jesus' call has everything to do with us. And we'll see that in just a moment as we come to his word. And so let's turn there now. Picking up at verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray over these next few moments that you would teach us from it. That you would open our hearts to your word. That you would reveal yourself to us. That you would reveal to us our need of grace. The need of the gospel. The need of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The year was 1968. For those of us in the room who were alive then, do you remember where you were in 1968? Uh, in 1968... Johnny Cash, early rock and roll country singer, was planning a comeback concert and he wanted to make an album out of it. And so this scene is depicted in the movie Walk the Line uh, that came out about 10 or 12 years ago. And I was unable to find out if this is actually how the scene played out in, in, in real life, but this is how it played out in the movie. Uh, Cash is planning a, a comeback concert, wants to record an album out of it, and he's meeting with his management, his record producers, and he tells them, 
he wants to go to Folsom Prison, California, and cut a record for a bunch of prisoners. And his management looks at him like, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Like, why would you want to go there uh, with murderers, murderers and convicts, those type people, and give them a concert and make an album out of it? In fact, this is how it was depicted in the movie. His management said to him, Johnny, your fans are gospel folk. They're Christians and they don't want to hear you singing to a bunch of murderers trying to cheer them up. And this is, what Cash, this is Cash's response. He says, then they ain't Christians. Now, like I said, I don't know if, if Johnny Cash really said it like this and this scene played out like this, but this is how it played out in the movie. And what I do think it really depicts is Cash's uh, concern for the lost. For the broken, those who, who were suffering, those who needed hope. And, and that was a big concern in his music and his life. And, uh, and I think it, uh, what we really see going on here is these record executives, his management, really just misunderstood who it was uh, Johnny Cash was trying to reach with his music, who he was trying to serve and reach out to, the broken and the lost. And as we turn our attention to our text this morning, I think the Pharisees fall into this same trap. They misunderstand who it is Jesus came to call. And it's easy for us, as I mentioned earlier, it's easy for us to pick on the Pharisees and say, don't you get it? Don't you get what Jesus is trying to do? But I think we fall into that same trap because we're no different. Oftentimes we misunderstand who it is Jesus came to call. We think Jesus came to call the people who have it all together, the good people, the rule followers. Nothing wrong with following the rules. But when we're trying to base our righteousness and our good standing before the Lord on, on following rules, then, then that's a problem for us, I think. And so our text this morning, I think, is a good reminder to us of just who it is that Jesus came to call. And so first thing we're going to look at this morning is what's the nature of Jesus' call. And to do that, we'll look at this first encounter, this first scene we see with Jesus and Levi. Who we also know from Matthew's gospel uh, is also known by Matthew. Uh, eventually becomes one of Jesus' disciples. But we see, picking up at verse 13, uh, after teaching the crowds, Jesus uh, begins to travel on to the next place. He passes by Levi, who's sitting at a tax booth. And it's important that uh, Mark points out to us that Levi is a tax collector, because that's important for our story. Uh, a tax collector, uh, even in our day and age, oftentimes is hated. But it was even more; they were even more hated in the day and age of Jesus, because... Uh, Levi was a tax collector, was a Jew working for the Romans. He was working for the bad guys. He was working for uh, the Roman oppressors, the ones who uh, were, were occupying Palestine and the Jewish people at this time in their history. He was a middleman between the Romans and Jews. He would collect the taxes from the people and he would pass it on to the Romans. But he'd also keep a little back for himself, maybe even sometimes more than he should have. And so what Levi was doing, he was profiting off his own people. He was ripping off and cheating his own people. He was helping the bad guys out. He was going over to the other side and helping them out. It would be like if Fran Tarkin, longtime Minnesota Vikings quarterback, played for the Vikings for a number of years, took him to a number of Super Bowls, if he went and played for the Green Bay Packers, crossed the river and played over in Wisconsin. That's what this was like. Levi was crossing over and playing for the wrong team. He was playing for the Romans. He was helping them out. He was cheating them. He was cheating uh, his own people of money. Uh, tax, collectors, tax collectors were hated. They were despised. They were considered worse than murderers and thieves. They were, they were associating the same company uh, with folks like that. They were often disqualified from being a witness in court. They were often expelled from their families. They were often expelled from worship. They couldn't even come and worship 
in the synagogue because they were tax collectors helping the Romans out. They were considered unclean. Uh, They were morally inferior for helping out and collaborating with the Romans. And so Levi was not a popular guy. He was not a popular guy in Jewish circles of the day. Levi was not the kind of guy that you would invite over for dinner. He wasn't the kind of guy, if, if he had kids, you would send your kids over to play with his kids. He was an outcast from society. Uh, he, was, he was hated by his own people. He was cut off from most of his relationships that he had with his own people. And so his friends were tax collectors. They were sinners. And so this is the kind of person that Jesus comes to. A guy who didn't have it all together. A guy who was ripping off and cheating his own people. Those are the people that don't have it all together. Those are the people Jesus comes to call. And we see that in verse 14. Jesus comes to Levi, sitting at his tax booth, and he says, follow me. And this word that's translated, this phrase that's translated, follow me, is never associated with those who oppose Jesus in the gospel. But it's always connected with those who are are Jesus' disciples, those who are following him. It's a term that's associated with faith, follow me. And what Levi was doing, he was taking great risk by, by leaving his lucrative tax business. He's making money. Remember, he's, he's ripping off his own people, helping the Romans out. He's leaving all that behind. And he's going and following Jesus. And so what we see here is the radical nature of Jesus' call. Jesus doesn't come to the guy who had it all together. Not the one trusting in their own goodness, but the one who didn't have it together, the one who was greedy, who was taking money from his, from his own people, ripping his own people off. From, he was, Jesus came to a man who was not morally upright. And he comes to him freely and chooses him and says, follow me. And so the first thing we see this morning is Jesus calls those who are not worthy. He calls those who don't have it all together. He calls those who are not the perfect people. And he freely chooses them. He chooses whom he will, no matter their background, no matter their situation in life. And he calls them to himself and says, come and follow me. Remember, Levi wasn't out searching for Jesus when Jesus came by. He was there waiting to rip off the next person at the tax booth. But neither were you, neither were we. If we know Jesus, we were not out looking for him when Jesus showed up and appeared in our lives. He came to us and said, follow me. And so, and so we see... Jesus coming to Levi and calling him to himself. Out of his sovereign grace, Jesus comes to him and calls him to himself. And so what we see here is that we contribute nothing to Christ's call on us. We contribute nothing. Remember, Levi was not out looking for for Jesus. He was not out looking for God when Jesus showed up on the scene. And he says, follow me. There was nothing inherently good about Levi that attracted Jesus to him. And there's nothing inherently good about us that attracted Jesus to us either. But, but many times we live our lives as if there's something we must contribute. There's something that we must contribute to our salvation. There's something about us that attracts God to us. My rule following, for example, we think if we follow the rules and then God loves us more and God, uh, it attracts him to us. But the, what we see here going on in our text this morning is God freely chooses whom He will to save out of His own good pleasure. And we bring nothing to the table when it comes to Christ's call. We are not worthy. Jesus comes to us out of His grace and chooses us and makes Himself known to us. And we're called to respond to that, to respond to Jesus' initiative. 
And so we see Levi doing that as he joins the group of disciples that Jesus has already been forming. Again, back in chapter 1, we see Jesus calling this group of fishermen to himself to follow him, to be his disciples. And Levi joins this group. And so Levi, uh, wanting his, his friends, the friends he does have, tax collectors, he wants them to meet his new master, the guy he's following. And so we see that Levi, in verse 15, hosts a meal for his friends, for these tax collectors and sinners. That's how Mark describes them. And so in verse 15, we see that Jesus is reclining uh, with these tax collectors and these sinners. And that word reclining uh, indicates that they were sitting at the table with their feet extended, like their feet were propped up on the table. So in other words, Jesus and his disciples, they were, they were relaxing, they were sitting back, and they were having a meal together with these tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't sitting with the important and sophisticated of society. He was sitting with tax collectors and sinners, men who were despised and hated. He was breaking bread with outcasts, those who had been neglected, those that people thought were undeserving, those that people thought were unrighteous. And in fact, the, the, the expression the way Mark writes this, that tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, indicates that really Levi is not the true host of this meal, but it's... It's Jesus. Jesus is the true host of this meal. Jesus is the one initiating and welcoming these men, these tax collectors, into his presence. He's the true host of the party. And so what happens here is the focus of the story of the scene shifts when we realize this, that Jesus is the one welcoming these tax collectors into his presence and offering forgiveness to them. And so this gets the attention of the Pharisees that Jesus is sitting and reclining and welcoming tax collectors and sinners into his presence. This gets the attention of the Pharisees. And it's kind of interesting with the Pharisees in the Gospels. They seem to kind of always know where Jesus is at, where his disciples are at, what's going on. It's almost like they were like an early version of the CIA. Like they had spies out there and they knew what was going on because they like basically like crash this party and show up. They kind of appear out of nowhere. And in verse 16, they question the disciples and they say, why was Jesus, why is he sitting down? Why is, why is your master sitting down with these uh, these unrighteous, these unholy people. It's a big offense to the Pharisees that Jesus is sitting down with these tax collectors. And so why was it such a big deal to them? It's because Jesus is welcoming them. He's accepting them into his presence, into his company. What he's saying by Jesus sitting down and reclining at table with them, he's saying that morality, good standing is not a precondition or prerequisite for me sitting down and having a meal with you and having fellowship with you. And so instead, Jesus welcomes them and he extends his, uh, God's grace to them and the offer of forgiveness by sitting down with them. Grace comes first and then change behavior. We see this happen in other places in the Scripture. Think about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, what was he? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was hated and despised by his people. Didn't have many friends. He's sitting up in a tree trying to see Jesus. And Jesus comes to him. Jesus initiates relationship with him and says, Hey, I want to come to your house and have a meal. I want to come to your house and visit. And so it's not until Jesus initiates his grace towards Zacchaeus that his behavior changed. He wants to give half of his money to the poor and stop cheating people. Now, we don't know if this group of tax collectors and sinners in Mark 2 this morning, if they came to faith. Mark doesn't tell us that. But what we do see is that Jesus extends the offer of forgiveness to them by just sitting down and reclining with them 
at the table and having a meal with them. We see the radical nature of God's grace, and that's what the Pharisees are upset about. They think these, these tax collectors and sinners have to be morally upright and have their act together before they can come into Jesus' presence. Their pride is keeping them from seeing the grace that's offered to them by Christ. And pride is often a human struggle. It's a human struggle that all of us deal with. Uh, this past summer, in some of my vacation time and time away, uh, I had the chance to read uh, one of the most recent uh, political biographies on President Richard Nixon, the 37th President of the United States. It's actually one of the more fair and balanced portrayals of him I've seen. Uh, but it's written by Evan Thomas. It's called Being Nixon. And, and one of the things that, that came out in the book was Nixon was always good, like all of us, at pointing out people's faults, pointing out people's shortcomings, and being critical of others. But what was hard for him to do, like many of us, was to recognize our own shortcomings and to be self-reflective and see our own sin. And, and so this comes out in the book in, in Thomas's portrayal of Nixon. And I think that's what we see going on also uh, with, with the Pharisees. Pride is at work in their hearts. It's preventing them from seeing who it is Jesus is coming to call. It's blinding them to Jesus' call. They want to rely on their own righteousness, just like we want to rely on our own righteousness and goodness. But it'll never be enough. If we're relying on our own goodness, our own righteousness, our own rule-keeping and following, it will never be good enough for God. It will never be good enough. And so our self-righteousness oftentimes blinds us to God's call, to Christ's call. We put limits on who God can say. This was the error of the Pharisees. They thought that the tax collectors and sinners were not worthy of being in Jesus' presence. This was the era of Israel that we saw back in Romans 9 in our scripture reading this morning earlier. They thought that their righteousness was based on works. That's what they were trying to attain, working their way to God. And Paul reminds us in Romans 9 that it's not works, but it's by faith that we attain righteousness. But oftentimes we do put limits on who it is that, that can be saved. Or, or sometimes we think that we're better Christians than other Christians. Uh, we think we're a better Christian because we're morally upright and we follow all the rules and, and we're spiritually more mature than others. And so oftentimes we look down on those who are not as spiritually mature as us. We all do this. Uh, we, we think we're better Christians because we dress in a certain way. We think we're better Christians because uh, we educate our children in a certain way. We think we're better Christians because we don't watch certain movies and television shows, listen to certain types of music. And even sometimes, we may not say this out loud, but we think this. We think that there are some people that are beyond God's saving grace. That there are some even ethnicities that are beyond God's saving grace. We may not have said this out loud, but we have thought this. We think, how could God love people who hold different theological views than me? There's no way. There's no way they could be Christians. There's no way people who have different political beliefs as me could be Christians. Somebody that's a Democrat, somebody that's a Republican, they can't be Christians. We think these things. Sometimes we say them out loud. And so what happens in our, in our text this morning is it, Jesus, in this encounter with the Pharisees and his, his responses that we're going to get to in just a moment, it exposes the Pharisee and all of us. It humbles us because it reminds us of our blindness, our blindness to who it is that Jesus truly came to call. He came to call the unworthy. And we bring, and it reminds us that we bring nothing to the table when it comes to Christ's call. 
And so how does Jesus correct our thinking? Jesus corrects our thinking by leveling the playing field. Uh, in 1949, Soviet Union tested its first atomic bomb. It was a success. Up until then, the United States was the only country in the world that had the atomic bomb. And in 1949, when the Soviet Union tested its first successful bomb, it leveled the playing field. And that's what Jesus does. In one sense, Jesus figuratively drops a bomb on the Pharisees in verse 17. Because he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus' response here to the Pharisees, to their question about why he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, leaves no doubt as to who he came to save, who he came to call, what his mission was, who he came to rescue. And Jesus often uh, often spoke in ways that made people think. And I think as we hear this this morning, it makes all of us in the room think who it is Jesus truly came to call. Imagine the silence that took place in the room when Jesus said this. These Pharisees are questioning him. They're they're, uh, questioning him why he's eating with these tax collectors. Why is he eating with these sinners? And then Jesus drops this on them. It cuts them to the heart. He says, The well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what we see here is Jesus is using irony. The irony is... He's talking about the well. And of course we equate those with the people that are righteous. Those that are trusting in their own goodness. Their own uh, law keeping and, and moral well being. Those are the well people. And the sick are sinners. Those who recognize their need of Jesus. Who want to be made whole. Who want to be changed. Who want to be renewed. And so Jesus is using irony to get the Pharisees attention. To get our attention. But the thing is. The funny thing is. The Pharisees don't get that he's talking about them. He's saying that they are the ones who think they're well off when in fact they're really sinners. That's the irony of the whole story is the Pharisees don't even realize they're sick and just like us sometimes we don't realize that we are sick and that we are self-righteous and that we are trusting in our own goodness. We are sick also. The Pharisees, they fail to show mercy to the tax collectors, to people who are not like them. They're blind to their own sin just as we are often blind to our own sin. They're too busy chasing their own righteousness to hear and understand what Jesus is doing, who it is He came to call. And so what Jesus' statement here does, it puts everyone on the same playing field, the same playing level. It exposes the Pharisee in all of us, that we're all sinners in need of Christ's forgiveness. And so His call humbles us. It humbles our hearts. It reminds us that we are all on the same playing field, on the same level, in the need of Jesus' forgiveness. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, which group do we perceive ourselves to be in? Are we sick or are we well? And then also, where are we really at? Where are our hearts truly at? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we are sick, that we're in need of God's grace, that our hearts are often far from God, that we're often in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, we're hateful, we're hurtful, we're critical. We don't love people well. We don't love our spouses well. We don't love our family and our friends our neighbors, co-workers, etc. We don't love people well. And so we're sick and, and we're in need of God's grace. But oftentimes we, we think that we are well and that we're okay. That we're doing okay in our uh, following uh, 
God's Word and, and, and doing all the right things. But oftentimes we take pride in this and it becomes a point of pride. And we forget the real reason of, of why we are accepted by God. It's through Christ's righteousness and our faith and trusting in Him. And so we think we're okay doing, uh, we're okay in our own efforts. But then there's also, I think, a third, third category where we can find ourselves, and that's the cynic or the skeptic. Uh, we think we don't need Jesus at all. That all this Jesus stuff is silly. Maybe even this morning, some of you are thinking that. Like, who is Jesus? What does he have to do with me? Maybe I'm just here because my spouse wants me to be here. Or whatever it is, the reason you're here. But you're skeptical. You're trusting in your own, own wisdom, your own judgment, your own intellectual superiority. Your own reason. And failing to see your need of Jesus. No matter where we're at this morning, no matter what category or group we fall into, Jesus reminds us this morning that we are all sick. We are all unworthy. And His words expose all of us that we are sinners in need of His mercy. That we need the great physician, Jesus, who can bring true healing to us. That through Him, through trusting in Him, we are made whole. As He took all of His sins upon Himself and in return, we get the perfect righteousness of, of Christ credited to us by faith. Not the self-made righteousness that the Pharisees were trying to follow, that we often try to follow, our own goodness, our own rule-keeping and following, but we get the, by faith we get the righteousness of Christ credited to us through faith in Christ. So I mentioned earlier, we often misunderstand who it is Jesus came to call. And if we need further proof of that, that His grace is extended to the unworthy, we don't have to look anywhere else but Scripture. Look in the biblical story and see who it is and the types of people, the types of men and women that Jesus came to call. Think about Moses. Moses was a murderer. Think about David. King David, a man after, after God's own heart. He was not only a murderer, but he was also an adulterer. Think about Rahab. A prostitute, but also in Hebrews 11, she's listed in the Hall of Hall of Fame, the Hebrews Hall of uh, Hall of Faith. She was called by God. Paul, originally known as Saul, he was a persecutor of the church, zealously, religiously persecuted the church, violently persecuted the church. Again, a man that God came to and made His grace known. And then think about Levi in our story this morning, a man who cheated. His own people was stealing from his own people, lining his own pockets, making money off his own people. A man called by God who extended his grace to him through Jesus. These were all men and women who led messy lives, but all the one thing they have in common, not just that, they did lead messy lives and they were not perfect people, but they also were people that Jesus had extended his grace to, his mercy to. And they responded to that grace. And so what we see this morning and take away from this part of, of Scripture is that Jesus came to call the messy people. He didn't come to call the people who have it all together. Not those who are trusting in their own goodness, but He came to call the sick. Not the well, not the righteous, but He came to call the sick. And that Jesus' love of, of messy people led Him all the way to the cross where He gave His life. So that those who believe in Him might not only have life, but might have forgiveness before the Lord. And so whether you're sick or well today, know that Jesus' gracious call is extended to you. 
And so the question we have to ask ourselves, though, is do we see our need? Do we see our need of Jesus? Are we blind in, 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 to, to our self-righteousness? Blind to our arrogance, to our pride? Much like the Pharisees were. Much like we often are. Or even if we are a Christian, how often we think some people are beyond saving? Or that we're better Christians than others. And so we judge people often for the way they live. And forgetting that we are all sinners in need of God's grace. Jesus' words this morning humble us and reveals to us our need of His forgiveness. And He reminds us that His call is not to the righteous, but His call is to people who are sick. Sinners like you and me. Last thing I want to say this morning, if you're here this morning and you might be thinking that you are beyond saving, that you have done terrible things in your life, that God, there's no way God could ever forgive you. The good news is that you are not beyond saving. Hear that this morning. You are not beyond saving. Because all of us in this room have done things that are offensive to God, that are offensive to His holiness, to His goodness, to His righteousness. And so the hope we have is that Jesus extends His grace to us. And we see that grace extended this morning to these tax collectors and these sinners that Jesus encountered in Mark 2. And that same offer of grace extends to you this morning. And so the question we have to ask, that this describes you this morning, do you recognize... Your need of Jesus. Do you recognize your sin and your need of forgiveness before God? That Jesus came to call the messy people. And will you trust and believe in Jesus knowing that His righteousness is enough? Knowing that His righteousness is sufficient for you. That He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the way in which it exposes all of us and reminds us, Lord, that there is nothing of our own that we bring to the table. There's nothing good in and of ourselves that attracts You to us. But it's only through Your sovereign grace, Your sovereign mercy, through Jesus, that we are forgiven. That you reveal your grace to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that you would uh, teach us from your word this week. Remind us of the ways in which we forget this often. Remind us, Lord, that you came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. to us Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We see this morning Jesus sharing a meal uh, with tax collectors, with sinners. And we call this uh, table fellowship, hospitality. And the basis of this table fellowship that Jesus offered to these tax collectors, these sinners, was the offer of forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. And this meal 
as Jesus sat down with these tax collectors and sinners, anticipated that day when we will sit down, those who trust in Jesus will sit down with him in the new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns and take of a meal together. But until then, we take the Lord's Supper. And that's what we come to this morning. We take the Lord's Supper and it reminds us of what Christ has done for us. That He has offered grace to us through Jesus Christ. And this table is for those who have responded to that call. Those who have responded to the call of Christ. Knowing that Jesus came not to call the righteous, but He came to call sinners like you and me. This table is for those who have been forgiven, who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then we ask you to let the elements pass you by. Uh, scripture attests to the, to the fact that this is a meal for Christians. And so uh, this is a meal that we take together as Christians. It doesn't mean that you're not welcome here. Uh, we, we welcome you to... Um, to take this time to think upon and pray upon who Jesus is. But we do uh, invite all to this meal who are uh, Christians, who have been uh, baptized in a church that preaches and proclaims the gospel, who are putting their trust in Jesus, who have responded to his offer of grace that comes through Jesus. And so come and take of this meal if that describes you, that your faith might be strengthened, that it might be encouraged as we take of this meal together. Let's pray now. Father, we give you praise for the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus, through Christ. And as we come to the table now and take of the bread and drink of the wine, that you would strengthen our faith. And as we do so, that you would uh, give us hope and encouragement as we look forward to that day when you will return and make all things new, when there will be no more sin, no more death. And we sit down with you in the new heavens and new earth and take of this meal together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.